0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How are you all today? Did you guys have a decent week? Halfway decent. I always tell people, you know, if you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes, right? Sometimes it's just like that, just a hamster on a wheel kind of thing, and um, it's easy to uh, to forget the greater things, the bigger things, the blessing that we have. Uh, in Christ and the power of His Word, and, and, and really the, the awesome uh, privilege that we have to be able to gather into His presence, um, not just corporately in church, but anytime that we want to in our personal lives. You know, I, I, I just finished reading um, A.W. Tozier's book, The Pursuit of God, and I uh, highly recommend it to you, man. It's, it's an absolutely amazing, amazing uh, book, and He just has an, a, a powerful, awesome way of uh revealing you know to our eyes the 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 access to the father that we have and and then what goes along with that is how often i neglect it how often i neglect it i have access i have access that's what we have through jesus christ he is our prophet priest and king he is both the lamb of god and the high priest he took away the sin and then he opened the veil so that we could have access to the most holy place where the glory of God uh, was, was present in the temple, in the tabernacle before that, where no one could enter save the high priest, and that only once a year with the blood of the sacrifices, first having made atonement for his own sin, lest he die. All of that has been taken out of the way for you and I. And we, the Bible says we can boldly come before the throne, and we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. That's what the, the uh, Aramaic word there, Abba, is, is literally Daddy. It's what little kids cry out to their, to their fathers uh, and we have that kind of access, and yet we're so distracted by other things. You know, if you can think of the most, most powerful person in the world or the person on this planet that you most um, uh, 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 respect or have the most admiration for, in the whole wide world, uh, if you had complete and total access to them, that you could call them every single day, that you could, you could talk to them anytime. Do you think that it would be uh, such a case that you would be like, you know what, I haven't talked to that person in, in months or in weeks? No, probably if you had that kind of access to that person, you would talk to them all the time. We have access to the Almighty One, the creator of all things, the, the, the king of the universe. Uh, and yet, and yet, and this is, we're, we're talking about this today, this is the great tragedy of Humanity. The great tragedy of humanity is that we are slow to learn. We are slow to hear and we have all of this privilege that God has given us and all of this access, and yet we squander it, and yet we don't use it, and yet we don't uh, tap into what he's provided for us. And and we're all, I think all people, are guilty of that. Even the greatest Christians that have ever walked the earth are guilty of that from time to time. Paul talks about it. You know what I'm saying? You ever read the letters of Paul and you were like, well, if he couldn't get it right, what the heck am I supposed to do, Right? But that's the beauty of our faith. That's the beauty of our faith is that throughout, throughout God's word from beginning to, to, to the, the, the last uh, epistles that we read, God used imperfect people. God used people who had faults. God used people who had failures, who had great shortcomings, to do mighty things. That's why the scripture says, God has not chosen many wise or many great amongst you. But God rather has chosen to use the foolish things of this world to confound the the wisdom of the wise. Because the wisdom of man is not the wisdom of God. Nor can the wisdom of man truly ever understand the wisdom or the knowledge of God. And the Bible talks about the fact that the things of God, the truths of God, are spiritually discerned. You can never go to enough college, you can never listen to enough messages, and you can never even read the Bible enough to understand the things of God. It must be translated to your spirit by his spirit. That's how this thing works. That's why it's such a great miracle. That's why when Jesus said to his disciples, you're marveled at the miracles that I do. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you'll be able to stay to this mountain, be removed from its place. You're like, what is that all about? That's the miracle of salvation. What Jesus was talking about, because he had called them, remember, to be fishers of men, to bring people into the kingdom, to tell them the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ... And the greatest miracle that has ever occurred in the history of all the eons of the ages happens when a person who's separated from God by sin and who has no relationship with God and no access to God and an inability completely to understand or communicate with God is redeemed and brought into the family of God. And God begins to communicate with that person and use that person. The Bible talks about the gospel and the fact that the angels long to look into these things. When, when, when they see God using you, they're like, ah, uh, what, just yesterday, in the car, when the guy cut him off, I was there. You're going to use that person? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because of the blood of the Lamb. Because of the blood of the Lamb. It's a great, great privilege that we have. So uh, we are in Numbers chapter 30 this morning. And we are going to be going over the law of vows, uh, and we're going to try to get some deeper uh, insight into this. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that as we read through your word together, Father, that your Holy Spirit would um, speak into our hearts, Father, that the, the spiritual truths that are here, Lord, you would make manifested in, in us by, the, by your Holy Spirit communicating with us, Father. We pray that you would do a supernatural work, Father, in each of us, in each of our hearts this morning. Lord, as you write these things on the tablets of our hearts, we pray that you would help each person here, Father, to hear something special from you this morning that I could never in a million billion years give to them, Lord. But you can because you have all the hairs of their head counted, because you know their thoughts in the morning and their thoughts in the evening. You know everything about them, Lord, and you love them. And so we pray, Father, that each heart would be bowed before you and be willing, Father, and be pliable, be willing to be the clay in your hands, Lord, to allow you to mold us And to make us, Father, to to be the people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord uh, has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow in the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. If indeed she takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears, then her vow shall stand and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow which she took and what she uttered with her lips by which she bound herself and the Lord will release her. Also, any vow of a widow or a divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. If she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, and the Lord will release her. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may make it void. Now if her husband makes no response whatever to her, From day to day, then he confirms all her vows or all the agreements that bind her. He confirms them because he made no response to her on the day that he heard them. But if he does make them void after he heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife and between a father and his daughter in her youth, in her father's house. Okay. Now. Vows and oaths were were not something new at this point in time. This is not a new thing. This is not something that God is just now implementing, the giving uh, or the taking of vows uh, or the pledging of oaths. These are things that had been around from time in memoriam. Uh, And in fact, the idea of oaths and the idea of vows comes from God himself because God himself swore oaths. If you want to write these scriptures down, you can. Isaiah chapter 40. 5, verse 23, God says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 5, that I may establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. Ezekiel 36, chapter 36 and verse 7, therefore thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. So the idea of oaths, the idea of vows uh, actually come from God. And they are a thing that at some point in early, early, early history, probably as early as Adam and Eve, after that they were uh, kicked out of the garden and were given the sacrificial system and that understanding that uh, their blood had to be, uh, there had to be a blood atonement for sin. And they went off into their lives, probably as early as that point in time, they were making promises to God. Because that's what we do, we make promises. Right? You ever have that one friend, or maybe that maybe it wasn't a really good friend. Maybe it was just somebody that you hung around, and everything that they said, always, constantly. I swear, I swear to God, I swear to God, I swear to God. What did you usually know about that person? (laughs) Right? Usually, that person just vehemently. I swear, I swear, I swear, I swear. I'm telling the truth this time. It's like the boy, the little boy that cried wolf. Right? We have within us. This innate desire, this innate, this innate uh, feeling of wanting to make promises and keep promises we do we have that thing within us and i think even more when we come to jesus christ we have this thing within us where we want to make promises we are always wanting to do better we are always wanting to give to the lord we are always wanting to do for the lord or for other people or to be involved in some sort of ministry and so we make vows we make promises how many times how many do you guys remember the promise keepers movement Do any of you still have those old, your old t shirts? (laughs) Because I don't can't find a promise keeper anywhere I go these days, right? The idea was noble. The idea was I want to make these promises to God and I want to do these things. It was a great and noble idea. Here's the problem we are not promise keepers, right? We're promise breakers, we're oath breakers. God is the only one that keeps oaths. Just think of all of the the New Year's resolutions and all of the different promises that we've made. Look at the state of marriage in our nation today. And, you know, it means something to me. And when I talk to people about marriage and and I relate it back to my own marriage, I always say, look, I stood before God with men as witnesses and made promises to God and to this woman. It is not a light thing for me to walk away from that. Now, understandably, there are extenuating circumstances. There are bad things that happen. Life goes down, right? Life happens. Things happen. You know, back in the old days, in really legalistic circles, divorce is like this unpardonable sin. That is not true. If you've been divorced, you just move on, and you move on with Christ. There's forgiveness for all of that. That's not to say that God's happy with it. The Bible says God hates divorce because it covers a man's garments in violence. God hates it because it's a tearing that takes place. It tears families apart. That's why God hates divorce. God doesn't hate divorce because he's looking at sinners with contempt. That has nothing to do with it. He hates the pain that it causes. He hates the damage that it causes. But once we've been involved in something like that, we can move on in Christ. There's forgiveness and a new start, just like for everybody else. But we are not a people that are great at keeping our promises. And so here, God covers vows and oaths in the law for two reasons. There's two reasons here. The first one is, I believe, now this is not doctrine, this is what I believe about my God, because I know him. I love him, and I know how he's been to me. Here's why I believe God covers oaths and vows in the law. First of all, he's rooting for you. (laughs) He's rooting for you. Now he knows you're not going to keep them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or he knows you are going to keep them. Either way, God knows. But I believe he's always rooting for us. Dad talks about all the time about when he got saved and he was an alcoholic and he smoked two packs a day. He's down to like a six pack and a pack a day now, I think. <laughs> I think it's where he's at. But he talks all the time about how. He goes, I'm great at quitting drinking. I'm great at quitting smoking. I do it every Monday. I I love it. I love it. I love quitting. I'm a wonderful quitter, you know. Quits every Monday and I quit. He says he talks about I quit every Monday, I quit, I blah blah, blah. And then finally, finally, it's stuck. Finally, it's stuck. The beauty about our relationship that we have in God through Christ Jesus is that we can always get up. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked fall by calamity. The mark of a righteous person, as our pastor has taught us all of these years, time and time and time and time and time again, is that the mark of a righteous person is not that they don't ever fall, it's that when they do fall, tell me, they get up. That's the mark of a righteous person. And that's what God wants from us. Every time I promise Him something, this, this is it, this is it, God. I'm I'm telling you. I'm telling you. This is it. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not gonna think like that anymore. I'm gonna spend on, I'm gonna I'm gonna kneel on gravel, not just on regular ground. I'm gonna get really spiritual and kneel on gravel or maybe tax or maybe tic tacks You know what I mean? And I'm gonna, and God, oh God, and I believe. I believe that God is up there, and he sees my chubby heart. And that he says, look at him, look at him, just look at him. (laughs) Oh, Oh, look at him. He loves us. He loves us. And God knows my heart. And I can stand before him every single day and say, God, you know my heart. God, you know who I am. You know what I'm all about. You know that I'm a vile, wretched sinner. But you know I love you. And he does. And he knows that you love him. And so he's rooting for you. Number one, he's rooting for you. And that's why I think this is in the law. The second reason is, we're going to get to this later, that he tells Moses about the sacrifices that needed to be offered when they broke those vows. Okay? So there was a sin offering. There was a sacrifice that needed to be offered when those vows. Not if. (laughs) when vows were broken. Not all of them all the time. And God, by his grace and by his mercy and by his power, sometimes gives me uh, the ability and his power beyond myself to do things that I want to do, but I know I can't do in and of myself. God's good like that. And I think it gets better as time goes on. As the outward tent is perishing, right? The outward man is perishing, the Bible says, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. I have a hernia now. I just discovered it. Because I'm playing with my belly button. You know what I'm saying? Stop it. You know, you d- this what happens. And there's a bubble in there. <laughs> and I realize, I got a hernia now. What's this going to lead to? I go to Nikki, what can happen? You know, and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It, it's, it, well, it ain't going to be a picnic. I can tell you that, right? Holy, this is, this is getting old, guys, right? And some of you have been telling me for years, whoa, 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 yeah, Junior, wait, just wait. Just you wait. And yet, there's something beautiful that happens as we get older, isn't there? That God gives us a different perspective. And that God gives us this understanding as the outward man is perishing. I'm not invincible. I'm not tough and as all these things as I used to be or whatever, or you think I used to be, right? And yet, God gives me more and more clarity into the beauty of his holiness and to eternity. And so, there's this trade that happens, and I'm willing to make the trade. I am willing to make the trade. Sometimes, you know, grudgingly, but I'm willing uh, to, to make the trade. So, sacrifices that were to be offered, not if, but when uh, vows were broken. Now, Jesus settled the entire thing when it came to vows uh, in his teaching on the Mount of Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 33 to 37, where, remember, Jesus... And, and again, you got to remember when you're reading the, 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 the words that Jesus Christ spoke that they were revolutionary. They were words that no one had ever heard before. They were things that man had not even considered before. And things that the religionists hated. That's why they hated Jesus so much. Because the Bible says, remember, the people were amazed and astonished at Jesus' teaching because he taught as one with authority and not as the teachers of the law. He didn't teach as somebody who had a lot of head knowledge. He taught as someone who was full of the Spirit of God. And so Jesus, when he taught everything as it related to the law, was this is what it really means in regards to your relationship with God. Because all your vows and all your new moons and all of your Sabbaths and all of your fastings and all of the ceremonial washings and your keeping of the Sabbath and all of those things are useless to you if your heart is not right with God. You can be very religious. You can be very religious and be as far away from God as the east is from the west, my friends relationship. That's what gets a man. That's what gets a woman into heaven. Do I know you? That's why in the final judgment, it says the book is open. That's called the Lamb's book of life. And the question is asked, is their name written? And that's the only question that we should be asking ourselves day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and hoping and asking for all of our friends and co-workers and family members and everything else, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Is it there? Because if it is, that means you have relationship with God. That means you know Him. And that is the only way a person can get into heaven. And so Jesus said in his powerful teaching, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely. You shall perform your oaths to the Lord. And Jesus changes it now. But I say to you, do not swear at all, Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, Nor by the earth, for it is his footstool nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your own head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. In other words, Jesus is saying, stop making oaths and swearing things on your own being. You have no power over your destiny. You have no power over what your body does. You understand what I'm saying? You can do your best. But you have no power ultimately over it. Stop swearing on it. These are all domains. And listen and notice what he says. He says, heaven, earth, Jerusalem, nor by your own head. Why? Because these are all things that belong to God. And they're not yours to swear by. They're not yours to swear by. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Why? Why did Jesus say that? Why is it from the evil one? You see Jesus is the sacrifice for our broken promises. And God would not have us disrespect that by making promises we never intend to keep or that we can't keep. Listen, this is what Jesus is saying, you're forgiven. All who are in me are a new creation. The oldest passed away, and behold, the newest come. You belong to me. Stop it with the oaths. Stop it with the promises. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, and live before God by your conscience as it's empowered by the Holy Spirit and to the best, the very best of your ability. And it's enough. It's enough. Why is anything else from the evil one? Because it involves man's effort. That's the definition of religion, isn't it? Man's attempt to reach God. But that's not how it went down, is it? He found us. He redeemed us. There's no need for oaths. Anything beyond yes, yes, and li- no, no, and living your life before God is Satan trying to get you to pretend to be something you ain't. Right? Okay. Okay. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. A vow or an oath is a debt owed, right? It's a debt owed to God. And the Bible says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Now, the second part of this chapter is a little more sticky for a man of my stature (laughs) to stand up here and preach to you because aspects of it are offensive to the culture that you live in. Aspects of what the Bible teaches here in Numbers chapter 30 are offensive and counterintuitive to the philosophy of the world today. And the age of what I would call post-feminism that we live in. This idea that men and women are exactly the same. There's no difference between us. It's like, what? I, I have children. You know what I'm saying? Listen to me, people. Do you know how hard I tried to get my little girls to be motorcycle girls? How <laughs> I told them there's nothing cooler. I got Shay. Where's Shay? There's Shay. I got, I got Shay. I got my Shay. I got one. Do you know how cool it is when a girl rides a dirt bike? Honey, it's the great, you're going to love this. You're going to love this. And when they're little, they're like, okay, daddy, you know, it makes daddy happy. You know what I mean? And then one by one, one by one, they failed me. (laughs) They disappointed me. No, I'm kidding. One by one. Why? Why? The boys, and and again, I got my Shay, right? There's exceptions to every rule, isn't there? For the most part, boys and girls are very different. Remember the book? Men are from Mars and girls are from Venus or whatever it was. Remember that? The whole thing was about the fact that you're not the same. The way a woman thinks about things and the way a woman contemplates things are not the same way a dude does, right? Because women actually contemplate them, you know what I mean? We don't think about things like that. We're just like, what? Say what? Say what? Yeah, you know what I mean what's that food no no. what is that action what is that excitement and I don't weigh it out I don't weigh it out I don't count the cost I'm just going to go jump into things you know what I mean sometimes Nikki will find out about plans I've made or things I've promised oaths that I've taken (laughs) and she'll look at me and go what have you done you know and I just go well it's me so you know Men and women are very different. God created men and women very different. He created us uniquely to be exactly who we are. And he created us uniquely, each of us, to fulfill a certain aspect of life before God as it, as it pertains to family as he has created it to be. Okay, guys? What I'm trying to say here really is don't blame me, blame God, okay? That's what I'm really trying to say. There is a divine order of things, there is a divinely inspired order to things that God has put into place. Now, I want to read a couple of verses, and it's going to start out making the women cringe, right? <laughs> not really, I, I hopefully not. But I want to explain this. I want to go into this, and I want to get to the bottom of this because I think that there is great misunderstanding about the nature of God's uh, God's law concerning men and women in the family. Ephesians chapter five, verses twenty-two and twenty-four says, "Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord." Now that's very important. You know what that means, girls? It ain't about him. It ain't about him. If you had to submit to your husband based on his merit, but look at Mrs. Marquardt. She's like, oh my, God, I would kill this man. That's, I can't believe what I'm hearing. Mrs. Marcourt, you know. <laughs> right? I'd kill this man. Nikki's back there yucking it up too. Right? As to the Lord, marriage is from the Lord. Family is from the Lord. The divine order of things is from the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. This is for you, Lord. Lord, this is for you. This is for you. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, uh, verse uh, chapter um, uh, chapter fifteen and verse twenty-eight says this. This is in First Corinthians. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man. Now listen to this part, guys. And the head of Christ is God. So even Jesus Christ has God for his head. How is that? I thought they were one and the same. I thought the triune nature, and the Trinity and all these things. Listen, I don't, you expect me to explain this stuff to you? I don't know what the heck it's all. What is it? does the Trinity look like? Well, you see, it's like me. I'm a father, a husband. Shut up. That's not what it is at all. That's not what it is at all. It's God. It's the Trinity. It's what's called the Godhead. Let us make man in our image. There is this thing going on with the Alpha and the Omega, with the Almighty and all-existent one, the King of the universe, that we'll never know and we'll never understand because he's so far beyond us. But some, somewhere within that mysterious Godhead that I can only ever get a small glimpse of in the flesh, there is there a divine order in which God the Father is head even over Christ. And it talks about the fact when all things are brought under subjugation to Jesus Christ, and he puts all things under his feet, it then says, and then Jesus Christ will himself be brought under the Father, so that all things may ought to be as they should. There's a divine order to things that ain't about us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, uh, verse, chapter 11, verses 3 seven and uh, 7 to 12 says this, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. That is speaking of the creative act. Remember, God created Adam. He created all the creatures. He created all the beasts and the creeping things. And then he created Adam. Let us now make man in our image and in our likeness. And he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. And then the scripture says that no suitable helper was found for Adam. And so he put Adam into a deep sleep and took one of his ribs. And from that, he created woman. That's why Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And there's that beautiful analogy there that she didn't come from his head. So she'd be over him or from his feet so that she would be under him. But she came from his side so that she would walk alongside with him and be his partner and his life mate is what it is. Now, for man, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And what he's talking about there is the fact that we are a testimonial to the unseen realm. The Bible talks about this clearly, the fact that the unseen realm, and that means angels and demons, are watching, and there's some sort of a testimony that we have before them that we are responsible for. And because of the divine order of things and the way God has laid things out and established things to be, he says there ought to be a sign of authority on a woman's head. Now, the Mennonites, you've seen them, they wear the little bonnets, and and that's, that's my opinion. That's not at all what it's talking about. It's not at all what it's talking about. Just like when the scripture says, don't let a woman's uh, outward adornment, her beauty come from braided hair. And, go. and so you got church say, okay, no more braided hair and no more jewelry. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's simply saying, don't let your beauty come from the outward, but let your beauty become about who you are inside, the great treasure that you have inside of you. And when it talks about the woman having a sign of authority on her head, it simply means this. Submit yourselves to the divine order is what God is asking us, all of us. Whatever our role is in in this thing, God's asking us to submit to it. I should say telling us to submit to it. Nevertheless, here it is, nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so, man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 4 says this. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 to 29 says this. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And when he says you all, he means you all. He means men, he means women. And when he's talking about a son, when he says you're sons of the Most High, when you're sons of God, he's talking about positionally. He's talking about as far as the promise went to the son. And what he's saying there is that men, women, all of you who are in Jesus Christ, you have the birthright of a son. That's what he's speaking of. It's not about sex. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen? Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. In God's eyes and in Jesus Christ, there is no difference between the sexes because he sees the heart. He is interested in your spirit. He is interested in your heart. But on the outward, God has given us a divine order. God has called men to be the heads of their home, the high priests of their home. And he's called women to submit themselves to their husband as in all things, and yet, and yet, unto the Lord, unto the Lord. It has nothing to do, ladies, with giftings. It has nothing to do with spirituality. I mean, most families that you, that you come across as you go through the ministry, most families, I'd say by number, the women are at least as spiritual as the husbands and probably on a greater number more so. Women have the ability to preach, women have the ability to prophesy, women have the ability to teach, women have the ability to pray in the spirit, women have the ability in God to heal, women have the ability to do every single thing that God has given man the ability to do by the spirit, by his spirit. But he has asked us and he has given us these treasures in what? Earthen jars of clay. And in that context, God says, do it in order. Do it in order. Why? Why? It ain't about me. It's not about us. It's about God being glorified. And on top of that, I would put this to you. I would submit this to you. That feminism, and I'm not talking about the idea that men and women are equal, in, in, in consciousness and in being we've we already established that that's in God's word okay this idea that, that has been propagated this lie that has been told to our young women for the past I don't know 40 years or so that they need to be just like the men and they need to be going out there and doing everything that the man does and there's no difference and we all should be doing the same things and blah 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 has led to the destruction of the home has led to the destruction of the family. It's one of the things. It's not the only singular thing. But it has done irreparable harm to the family structure. Now, I say that only as a small thing. What's done the most harm to the family structure is the family not being brought under the umbrella of God's authority. That is what has done the most harm, by far, bar none bar none, because it takes two to tango. The husband has the responsibility, the Bible says, to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself as a ransom for her. And then also it says washing her in the water of the word in the sense that a man is supposed to be the spiritual leader of his home, taking his wife into Bible study, praying with his wife, making sure that they're praying with their children, and we failed at that. The church has failed at that. And so we see divorce rates in the church as high as we do outside of the church now, to where a new generation of kids is coming up and saying, What's the point? What's the point of even getting married? Why would I even consider doing that? It doesn't work, it doesn't last. Because we've taken it into our own hands. And we've been unwilling to submit every aspect of what our family is, what the meaning of it is. What does it mean to be husband? What does it mean to be wife? What does it mean to be mom and dad? What does it mean to be home? What does it mean? Well, I think, well, I think, well, I feel what I believe. What does the word of God say? What does God command us? All of the commandments that God has given and all the things that God has given us in his word are for your benefit and for the benefit of your posterity. That's what the founding fathers talked about over and over and over again when they were writing the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and arguing over its merits. This is not just about us. This is about our children and our children's children's children. This is about our posterity. And we belong to a generation that only cares about the here and the now. And what's in it for me? And we've forgotten that life is about worshiping God, and it's about giving, and it's about sacrifice, and about laying ourselves down so God's will can be accomplished and other people can be lifted up. That's what it's really all about. That's what it's really all about. It's always, always about him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word, uh, Lord God. And, and uh, I pray, Father, that, that, that uh, I have not confused this or uh, made this confusing, Lord, or hard to understand. But I, I pray, Lord, that it would be a, uh, a lesson that we could all take with us from here, Father, uh, to make it all about you, Lord. It's about serving you. It's about doing what you've called each of us to do, Lord. Uh, thank you so much for your gift of salvation, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you so much that in him, uh, we are all the same, Lord. We are all equal in Jesus Christ. Uh, even, even, and Even in the family, Father, within the structure you've given us, Lord, it's not about one person being above anybody else, God forbid, it's about you being all in all. And it's about your will being accomplished, Father. Help us to uh, put these things into practice in our lives, Lord, so that we can live the life that you've intended for us to live, Lord. That we can truly be like a city that's set up up on a hill uh, and a shining light, Lord, and a guiding light for people who are lost in darkness, Lord. In a, in a time and in a world that needs to see that light and to see that hope and to see that love uh, more than perhaps any other, than, and, and certainly in our recent history, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be what you've called us to be, Father. So we we love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord, and we we pray that you would have your way in us and through us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys.